0: Do you struggle to find the time and energy to consistently eat healthy? you're not alone and there is a solution introducing factor the all-in-one meal delivery service that preps cooks and delivers fresh never frozen fully prepared meals directly to your door weekly with factor every meal is designed by dietitians and handcrafted by world-class chefs keeping your taste buds happy and your waistline trim what's more is the menu changes every week so you never lose interest in eating healthy right now factor is offering listeners of the kitchen survival guide podcast fifty dollars off over their first two weeks just go to factor75.com pick your meals and use the code podcast50 at checkout to claim this limited time offer. That's factor75.com code podcast50. Welcome back, Kitchen Survivalists! We are here again today with our second episode in our little micro-series about the food culture of ancient China. Now, this micro-series might be a few episodes, but please bear with us because this information is really important in understanding how our modern culinary techniques have developed today, considering that China was the first ever society, basically. I mean, yes, there was ancient Egypt and Mesopotamia and other little agrarian societies within Central Asia, but China has been the longest lasting civilization in all of humanity, so it's really important that we kind of take a deep dive and take a look at how their entire culinary world has shaped our modern world of cuisine today. So today we're just going to be talking about a few of the culinary techniques that are used or have been used in the past, as well as some fun facts about Chinese history. So without further ado, let's hop right to it. The core of food culture is connected to humanity's discovery of fire. Fire use has been documented for over half a million years as demonstrated by the ruins of hearths in northern China's Peking Man left signs of cooking around the fireside of various animals' burnt bones. Food culture of ancient China began at the dawn of the last ice age, which caused the land to become cold and dry. As the ice age lifted around 15,000 to 8,000 BCE, the climate conditions began to improve dramatically. The area went from cold and dry to warm and wet allowing for plant growth and the beginning of agricultural society. Historians believe that this caused an influx in the population, a rapid growth in environmental productivity, and beginning of trade and enhanced communication. The ancient fire was holy. Kitchens had altars for sacrifices and kitchen deity offerings. China worshipped the kitchen god Zhao By 500,000 years ago, hominids of the Homo erectus species intermittently inhabited a large cave on the outskirts of Zhukudian, about 25 miles from Beijing in northern China. While there was no glacial action in Asia, winter would have definitely been severe. Although it is uncertain whether hominids wintered this far north, but it is where the first well-documented proof of fire was identified. Fire permitted hominids to use non-cooking food ingredients that would be otherwise inedible or poisonous. Burned deer bones and some with slash marks are evidence of the cave residents' meat consumption, but whether the meat was collected by hunting or scavenging is still unclear. These early modern humans practiced this hunting until the end of the last glacial era, around 12,000 years ago. In Europe, the glacier's decline culminated in the expansion of trees and a significant shift in eating patterns, with people killing woodland animals, including deer and rabbits, and allowing better use of the sea's resources. By this period, however, populations in the Middle East and along the Yangtze River Valley in southern China were experimenting with plant agriculture, which was the beginning of the agricultural revolution, establishing the basis of civilized modern living, and the beginnings of civilization. Microscopic analysis of burned plant remains decide if they are domesticated or wild species, suggesting if the people were agrarians or hunter-gatherers. Charring leaves silica ghosts of the epidermal cells that show telltale markers to differentiate between domesticated and wild crops when analyzed under an electron scanning microscope. Such investigation of seeds, husks, and plant remains in China helped expand the archaeological record of rice's earliest domestication from 8,000 to 11,500 years ago, pinpointing the location to the Middle Yangtze River. In approximately 6000 BC, the earliest Chinese civilization began in the village of Banpo within the floodplain of the Yellow or Huanghe River, located in north central China. Contrary to many other ancient agricultural societies who used walls to protect their statehood and their grain stores, the village of Banpo used a moat. The people within the village lived in huts that had plastered walls with thatched roofs made of straw. Pigs and dogs were also raised within the village. Millet was considered a communal grain and was buried in hundreds of pits that were scattered throughout the village. Xu Huangdi, who ordered the construction of the Great Wall of China, standardized written Chinese, which assisted in the unification of China itself. Chinese history begins the same as the history within the Old Testament of the Bible. At first, there was Pangu, who was the creator that created humans from the parasites on his own body. After Pangu died, he was followed by wise rulers that developed inventions that allowed China to become the first civilization in history. Fuxi was the first to domesticate animals, and as a result, was also the first to invent marriage and domesticate women as well. Shenong invented medicine, trade, agriculture, the hoe, and the plow, and Huangdi, the Yellow Emperor, invented writing, the arrow, the bow, the cart, and ceramics. Centuries later, Emperor Yao appeared on the scene as a wise ruler who decided not to pass on the empire to his son and instead decided on a wise man named Shun to be his successor. Shun selected his minister Yu to be his successor, and Yu founded the Xia Dynasty in 2205 BC, which ended in 1766 BC. The Xia Dynasty and the Shang Dynasty, which lasted from 1500 to 1000 BCE, saw the rise of civilization in China, which promoted a long-lasting social structure of the rich becoming more rich and the poor becoming more poor. The elite statuses within Chinese civilization had an abundance of grain, wine, pork, and other foods, while villagers were required to live on a diet of millet and mallows. Confucius was a Chinese philosopher who lived from 551 to 497 BC. Confucius declared that all would be right in the world if the peasants were subordinate to their rulers, and there was respect for the elderly if the women respected men and friends shared a mutual respect. The philosopher also compiled the I Ching, or the Book of Changes, as well as the Book of Songs, which was a compendium of songs from court and peasants, revealing interesting spotlights into the cuisine and culture of the era. For many centuries, the philosophy of Confucius was used as the basis for the Chinese government. The Confucian scholars who ruled China in the 15th century AD decided to refuse trade with other countries, which proved very damaging to the Chinese economy. Until recently, China had no fine-dining restaurants or the Western-style kitchen brigade. However, the court had a completely different spread of imported specialties called the eight delicacies. The selection was variable, but contained camel's hump, ape's tongue, bear's paw, and other fictitious animal varieties. In reality, they didn't actually consume the bear paws, but they cooked them for a really long time to render them into a gelatinous form. The attraction was their rareness rather than their flavor, but real bear hunters still love bears paws in Siberia and even northern Canada. Rare varieties of mushrooms, bamboo shoots, and other vegetable foods were less flashy but probably still more popular, as were complicated and thorough preparations of ordinary animals like chicken, duck, and fish. Dishes from the empire's far reaches such as Central Asia and Tibet always graced the table, particularly when entertaining dignitaries from those areas. Exotica, such as birds' nests and sea cucumbers, come from Southeast Asia, and the court displayed its cosmopolitan, world-ruling strength and hospitality. Many imperial dishes remain to this day, and restaurants often try to recreate them. Historical records state that several emperors avoided elaborate meals, choosing plain food to signify the emperor's virtue, ease, and unappeased by displays of ego, and empathy for common citizens and values in both Chinese secular and philosophical practices. Central Asian forces were high after the Han Dynasty and a wave of Western foods reached China. The Silk Road, which will definitely get its own episode, was the main trading route through Central Asia and connected the East and the West. Its golden period spread from Han through to the Tang, Song, and Yuan Dynasties. Persian bread, lettuce, walnuts, large beans, and even dark herbs such as fenugreek and cumin came to China with Galenic medicinal ideas and Indian Buddhist foods. The pinnacle came in the Mongol Empire, Yuan China's dynasty, when Beijing court served dishes from Arabia, Persia, Turkestan, and Kashmir, and the whole Mongol dominated world. Nomadic Mongol dishes such as roasted wolf and Arabic delicacies like lamb made with saffron and rose water. The rest of the planet would not see this kind of diverse eating until the 20th century. During the Yuan Dynasty from 1271 to 1368, the time of the Mongolian rule in China, Eurasia came under one economic structure, with Mongolian trading routes leading to Asia's corners. By 1280, Mongol controlled China, Central Asia, and Iran with trading lines stretched into more distant territories. Genghis Khan conquered Asia's majority, seizing Northern China by 1234. His grandson claimed the Chinese throne by 1279. And after the Mongol rulers drove southwest Asia's last Abbasid Caliphate, the Asian continent was united for the first time in history. But Asia was profoundly intertwined long before Mongol Khanates developed. In AD 751, the conflict among the Arab and the Chinese Tang empires on the Talus River in Central Asia culminated in Central Asia's complete Islamization, which was the only strategic encounter between the ancient world's major forces. However, these empires and their successors were economically linked for almost a millennium. Commerce along the Silk Road predated the Han Dynasty. Historical records say that Zhang Qian, China's first diplomatic ambassador, entered Central Asia in 126 BC. The recorded reports in the Ji, though embellished with depiction of magical beasts and other fictional items, testified to the early Han period's direct contact between Central Asia and East Asia. Although these records may indicate that Central Asia was historically foreign to the Han, Central Asian mountains never impeded cultural flow. People passed through valleys like water through a leaky faucet for its least two centuries before Zhang Qian's westward journey. Archaeological data suggests that these regions' food systems had influenced each other since the early third millennium BC. A nativist backlash in the Ming dynasty, from 1368 to 1644, rehabilitated a Chinese cuisine much more refined and nuanced than Han's or even Tang's. The growth of an affluent middle class, particularly in Sung, led to haute cuisine creation. Merchants and bureaucrats rivaled feasting. Stores stocked well, domestic and foreign commerce flourished, and in the early 1400s, a Ming prince compiled an excellent and detailed guide to famine food, and it was distributed to local governors throughout the country. However, Ming's most significant food revelation was the advancement of sea travel and interaction with the New World. Much of China, particularly the South, was unfit for rice or wheat. Millet was honestly just a really bad replacement and suddenly corn, white potatoes, and sweet potatoes arrived. Maize was widespread before the 1600s and the remarkable distribution of new world crops arrived in the Qing dynasty between 1644 and 1911. By the late 1600s, sweet potatoes entered China and white potatoes by 1800. Peanuts, tomatoes, chilies, guavas, and other modern world crops revolutionized agriculture by bringing nutrient-dense, productive, and easy-to-grow food into China. In particular, chilies are incredibly abundant in vitamins and minerals and they as well as other new world crops were essential to the population boom that brought China from 50 million citizens in early Ming to 1.25 billion today. 150 years of Russian influence and 50 years of the region's extreme Chinese subjugation have significantly altered foods throughout well-documented Soviet collectivization issues and homogenized local diets. Xinjiang's tumultuous past continues with Chinese migrants and employees, mainly from Sichuan, flooding the area after the 1960s. In China, Uyghur cuisine is divided from the rest of the food culture and is considered Muslim cuisine. Present literature splits China into several federal or local culinary areas. Almost all have Fujian fare, the nature of which can be found in its variety of soups, sauces, vegetables, fish, fruits, mushrooms, spices, dried fruits, and a special treat called tribute candy. This after-dinner or sweet snack is a mix of baked peanuts ground into maltose or ground peanuts wrapped in a paper-like coating of glutinous rice. It is typically served with fresh fruit at the end of a meal and is appreciated by anyone who enjoys sweet, delicious food. The consistency of the products was once the most significant dimension for assessing food quality and restaurant quality, and cooking techniques developed to amplify fresh food with rapid cooking using simplistic but measured techniques. Split-second pacing was characteristic of the cuisine. For example, when the boiling or frying sound kind of changed a little bit, the object would be swiftly whisked off the blaze. Foods are also briefly boiled before being stir-fried to retain tenderness during fast frying, specifically in Cantonese dishes. Today, Yunnan is China's most ethnically diverse province with approximately 40 minority groups and their languages belong to at least four entirely unrelated varieties. Most of these communities have simplistic cuisine centered on grain and local vegetables, but far south Thai-speaking citizens have elaborate dishes similar to northern Thailand. In the violent time between the Ming and the Qing dynasties, Sichuan's population was diminished by approximately 75% and repopulated mostly from Hunan and neighboring regions, resulting in a remarkable culinary resemblance between Hunan and Sichuan. In exchange, Yunnan gained many of its Chinese inhabitants from Sichuan, but they adapted to local circumstances and were affected by non-Han nationalities. As we mentioned in our previous episode, salt comes from salt lakes and wells. For two centuries, drilling bottomless salt wells was a significant and lucrative industry in Sichuan. Unlike sea salt, this salt, like most foods in these mountainous areas, lacks iodine. Therefore, goiter was widespread in historical times and was considered synonymous with consuming local salt instead of sea salt. North of Sichuan in Shanxi, lamb is common. Shanxi's main city is Xi'an, which was China's capital, and was called Chang'an for several centuries. It eventually lost to Beijing during the Liao dynasty. Xi'an has several recipes, many using barley, beef, onions, and vinegar. Fujianese foods are identifiable by the rich stocks and sauces used in thick and thin soups. They usually eat two or three soups at main meals and five or six soups at banquets. And many common ingredients marinate in wine or the remaining sediment called lees or hangju. Fujian foods, also named min, are popular everywhere they speak min or wu dialects, sometimes found in Fujian and the southern Guangdong province in Shantu or Swatow, to where several descendants of a well-known ostracized 8th century politician escaped. This Teochew qiu variation Chiu Chow, is considered the most exquisite cuisine. It uses plenty of seasonings, fish sauces, citrus marmalades, and satay-type sauce pastes. Every Fujianese food is enjoyed locally by people living on Hainan Island and locals nearby. While common in China, this cuisine is known outside of China. Fujian foods are strongly linked to Taiwanese cuisine since many Fujianese fled through disruptive historical periods. Fujianese cooks may serve a bird's nest or shark fins as the main dish, which is common, and presented as a rich stew-type soup. Many foods have slow preparations, are lard baked, and are seasoned more liberally than in neighboring provinces. With Western society's pervasive influence, exotic beverages like coffee, tea, fruit juices, and alcoholic drinks are no longer uncommon in China. By 1884, China started planting coffee. Currently, China's largest coffee producing region is Yunnan. With that being said, let me introduce you to free lunch coffee. How do you feel about ending child hunger with your morning coffee? When you buy one bag of free lunch coffee, you are also providing 10 meals to children in need, and free lunch coffee gives away 50% of the money they make to end hunger in the lives of young children. How cool is that? It is beyond a fantastic cause. Free Lunch Coffee has great coffee that is specialty grade and is certified organic and fair trade. They offer a 100% money back guarantee for 30 days and if you don't absolutely love their coffee, they will give you a full refund and you can keep the coffee. So there's absolutely nothing to lose. They also have some amazing custom made mugs and tumblers. With each purchase from Free Lunch Coffee, you're providing 10 meals to children in need. Free Lunch Coffee is offering a 10% discount to my dear listeners, to you. Just use the coupon code Survival at checkout. Check it out at freelunchcoffee.com. Fujini's food culture contains three regular meals, Mornings commence with rice soup, other small dishes or juk seasonings, two or three soups served with main meals, and five to six soups with an equal amount of accompanying dishes shape a banquet. Other than breakfast xiao or juk, soups can be clear or thick and stewy. Dipping sauces complement some foods, such as garlic crushed in a vinegar base, while the key component is chicken or maltose for fried fish. Dishes and soups use complicated stocks and sometimes hot and sour sauce. Some are heavily pigmented, mostly red from red wine lees. Xiamen, once Amoy, is Fujian's second largest city known for its popia. Xiamens love this pancake. It is typically filled with cooked meat and vegetables, including bean sprouts, garlic shoots, carrots, and bamboo shoots. Seaweed can also be added and is flavored with a hot mustard or plum sauce. Other familiar dishes are stir-fried xiamen noodles and xiamen spring roll. Both are composed of vegetables, sprouts, peanuts, and pieces of grilled seaweed. Classic Fujianese dishes include diced and fried wine-marinated pork, steamed chicken in fermented tofu, drunken spare ribs, sweet and pungent lychee pork, deep-fried eel in wine lees, omelette oyster, stir-fried razor clams with ginger, spicy and sour squid broth, duck tongue, with white and black fungi, fried peanuts, and dried longan soup with lotus seeds. Chaiping, a Hainanese chicken rice dish, is also well known. One food with a presumptive barbarian origin is Mongolian barbecue. This dish is not originally Mongolian, and it's more likely a modern development from typical Muslim Chinese dishes. It includes tiny meat cuts drenched in various piquant sauces and grilled on high heat in a metal brazier. Another popular Muslim dish with specialty restaurants is lamb hot pot. Since the Chinese enjoy cooking their own meals, even at restaurants, it is common for restaurants to serve very finely sliced ingredients to dip into boiling stock at the table. The slices cook quickly and flavor the stock, consumed as soup at the end of the meal. Every province has distinct variations of this hot pot meal. Beijing's is lamb-based, and it is crucial to slice the lamb uniformly and finely. Chinese cooks spend years studying how to slice correctly, and this dish challenges them to prove their skills. Shaxiang province comprises the heart of the large Yangtze Delta area, China's wealthiest, highest educated, and most progressive region in history. Shanghai is now a separate metropolitan area. Suzhou, Hangzhou, and Ningpo create an arc around the Yangtze mouth. Each city has its culinary specialties. Shanghai has recently gained popularity as a city and is essentially a result of imperialism, which the English established as a port in the 19th century. It has its version of eastern foods based based on local customs and incorporates influences from all over the Yangtze Valley. Shexiang is also the center of Wu's ancient state, which was likely non-Chinese-speaking and retained a complex and elaborate culture distinct from that of the Northwest Central Plain. The word Wu is also used to describe the area and the spoken language, a language that is typically misnamed as a dialect, but it is distinct from Futonghua as it is from Spanish. Shixiang cuisine is the most elaborate version of a more widespread culinary style described as Eastern, found in Wu's Old State and neighboring regions. Besides Shixiang, it contains Jiangsu, Anhui, and part of Yangxi. Throughout history, the North typically had the political influence, while the Southeast usually had all of the resources. Shixiang food's other distinctive virtues are a proclivity towards sweet and unctuous flavors, a rich consistency, plenty of oil, and thick sauces and a commitment to freshness. The sweet taste appears to be ancient and part of the universe's classic fivefold division, a Chinese-thinking characteristic from the early Han Dynasty, with sweet being an East-related flavor. It is not just cosmological speculation, but an awareness of reality. The West is synonymous with pungency, which is the case with its cuisine to this day. The North is salt, the South bitter, the East acidic, and the middle sweet. The freshness is often a product of the landscape, and food preservation is not simple in the mild, humid environment. Typically, food preservation in these areas is also needless due to the 12-month growing and fishing season. The warm and amphibious landscape has made soup a very appealing option. China's soup-eating core is Fujian, where it is customary to offer three or four different soups amidst the main courses in a 12-course banquet. Ginger, green onions, garlic, wine, sugar, and vinegar are popular flavors. They tended to use fewer herbs and bean paste than in western and southern China. Language attests to the significance of protein complementarity in East Asia. The Chinese fan translates to grain, but also means food. Sei translates to edible leaf and stem vegetable, but it also means what goes on rice to complete the meal. This language is similar to biblical references for bread, indicating any food required for sustenance. Complementarity relies on the soybean. Rice or wheat is combined with hundreds of soybean products, including curds or tofu, soy milk, soybean boiled or fermented, and soy sauce. In exchange, soy sauce is usually produced from wheat flour, whose methionine strengthens an already high amino acid profile. Moreover, soy protein digestion is enhanced by typical fermentation in water containing dissolved calcium or magnesium. These inactivate the opponents of trypsin, a digestive enzyme that appears within soybeans. Since the Sung Dynasty, sesame oil has been a rich source of methionine and has been China's favorite cooking oil. Even in periods of famine, protein deficiency was uncommon in East Asia. When one goes inland, west or north, pulses and legumes such as red bean, broad bean, mung bean, peanut, and common pea are combined with cereals to support complementarity. Fermented milk products like yogurt became important in Central Asia. The tendency to identify foods and frame nuanced dietary rules is more ancient than humanity itself. Many food systems worldwide are explicitly theological. However, specific food systems were more secular, intending to preserve or restore physical fitness. These diets were most influential in Greece, India, China, and the modern West. Some may contend that the apple tree has influenced world history from the moment Eve took the first taste. Few people know that the intoxicating substance extracted from the opium poppy was one of the critical reasons China shut down its borders after the People's Republic of China was formed in 1949. Military envoy Jiang Chen, who returned home from one of his diplomatic missions to Central Asia in the late 2nd century BC, brought a small, tender vine in a rawhide bag, shielding it from the hot sun as it traveled through the desert. The vine had grapes, and sweet wine came to China from Dawan, most scholars believe to be the Fergana Valley in modern Uzbekistan. Data from a newly excavated grave from the Yingkai Cemetery in Xinjiang indicates, however, that wine was worshipped hundreds of years before Jiang Chan's legendary journey. Another early Chinese traveler noted equal abundance along his trip. Q Chun left central China in 1220 with special permission from Genghis Khan. Chengchun traveled from Mongolia to Hindu Kush to Afghanistan and back to China. A traveling companion, Li Chang, recorded the three-year trip. He found that as they reached Central Asia cities, citizens came to bring grape wine gifts and various kinds of fruit. He mentioned cotton and fruit development near Alamadi's medieval village, which he noted was called Alima from the local word for fruit. He commented on the large irrigated apple orchards surrounding the town. He mentioned rice and vegetable production along the Amu Darya River and fruit orchards in the Tian Shan. He noted peaches, walnuts, and a tiny apricot peach. He commended the vitality of the land around Samarkand, noting that all the grains and legumes growing in China also grew in the area except for buckwheat and soybean. He also praised the watermelons and eggplants, a long, narrow purple variety of the Serafshan region. Addressing irrigated farming in Inner Mongolia's Yishan mountains, he noted that although fruits ripened late due to the cold in the higher elevations, efficient irrigated fields and gardens existed. As the era of colonization and discovery started, a wave of European, Chinese, and Arab adventurers, traders, warriors, and scholars poured into Central Asian trade cities, and many of them reported tales of vibrant markets and rich fruit varieties. A year before his death on February 18, 1405, Amir Timur also sought to push eastward, rallying a large-scale military assault on China's Ming dynasty. Although this campaign collapsed in its primary objective, Ming's mercantile ambitions were redirected from Central Asia. As Ming tended to the nautical routes to the south, the ancient city of Zayton became a flourishing trade center ruled by Islamic traders linking East Asia to Europe. Shortly after 121 BC, Emperor Hu Di Wu of Han, who commissioned Zhang Qian's expedition, expanded the Great Wall to Dunhuang, and the Jade Frontier Post became the westernmost of Han military forts. The fort's ruins are only some 80 kilometers northwest of Dunhuang. As a result of the establishment of military posts, caravan cities developed in western China, especially along the Hexi Corridor, a pass through the Qilan Mountains leading to Chang'an, on the Yellow River's west side. Military records written on wooden slabs were retrieved from Han military guard towers in the western regions. Archeologist Oral Stein retrieved related records from garbage piles at watchtowers near the Thousand Buddhist Caves along the route from Cathay's old entrance in about 1900. Each of these records, bound to silk strips, lists the duties delegated by the watchtower's military leader, growing garden crops, building canals, and fixing domestic equipment. Military Han incursions into the area brought a wave of agricultural invention. Military Han incursions into the area brought a wave of agricultural invention, particularly in the Taklamakan Desert, which increased population and supported further trade. The Han Dynasty invaded the Kororaina territory in 108 BC and set up provincial military outposts. Historians indicated that combining the Chinese military with local citizens contributed to the increased popularity of oranges, pears, pomegranates, and dates throughout the Han Empire. However, Han's expansion into northern central China contributed more to the eastward influx of Central Asian grains. In 386 AD, the Shuba invaded the Han and loosely retained it as the Wei Dynasty until about 550. The Shuba, who were from the north and sometimes described as a nomadic tribe, retained strong cultural and commercial relations with Central Asians. Some scholars claim that the 400 to 500 era was among the most important for trade along the northern roads, fostering the tremendous appetite for the Tang elites exotic products. Before its fall, the Wei dynasty capital had an international quarter as did the Tang capital later, whose population some scholars place at 40 000 to 50,000 Central Asians. By the 600 the Tang Empire was highly ethnic, and markets were full of Central Asian traders selling wine, fruit, dried meat, and horses. One of the most substantial ancient texts to explain the influx of modern foods from the West during the Wei Dynasty is the Qimin Yaoshu, Essential Strategies for People's Welfare. This ancient text was believed to have been finished in 544 AD as Wei's influence waned. The job is credited to Jia-Sixi and there are many parts devoted to agricultural practices along with crops such as Central Asian melons and cucumbers and the book discusses newly added pomegranates. When it comes to food, the Chinese have a popular expression, the masses see food as their heaven, implying that food is the primary desire of citizens. It can justify the value of eating in Chinese people's lives. Eating is not only intended to fill the stomach, getting food in one's hands and being able to eat a decent quantity of food and learning what to eat and how to eat it are all seen as good fortune. Those who encourage food culture also use the Chinese philosopher Confucius's words, diet and lovemaking all the primary needs of every human being, finding an aspiring and optimistic base of thinking for such an epicure. There is undoubtedly no other spot in the world that has as tasty of a range as China. If judging by art and cooking techniques apart from France and Italy, the Chinese can compare to no other country's chef skills either. Highly evolved culinary techniques turn seemingly inedible ingredients by Chinese chefs into a dish of tasty treats for international eyes. The Chinese, who see eating as fortune and life as art, develop different regional food styles in their Vast lands and spread Chinese food culture far across the sea. Today, in this environment, where even the farthest corners may seem near someone's backyard, Chinese food can be enjoyed in any metropolitan world. As in many other countries with large areas, the northern and southern ethnic tastes distinguish Chinese cuisines. While China's best quality rice is grown in its northeastern regions, people in these regions prefer pasta or pastry instead, just like other northerners. Popular dishes in the north include Beijing's lamb hot pot, roast duck and Lu style cuisines in Shandong province. In the south, the primary foods or foods that are the main source of carbohydrates and dietary fibers, like western breads and cereals, are usually rice based. The south provides a comparatively more extensive range of dishes. The hot and strongly spiced Sichuan cuisine, xiang food from Hunan, sweet and delicate, Huayan food, and yu or Cantonese type are mainly seafood and soups. Thus, foreigners who have been to China are happily shocked by the tremendous geographical variations in flavor and food styles. Not only does Chinese cuisine indulge people's sense of taste, but the sense of sight is also amused. The Chinese culinary arts depend on the color or aesthetic beauty aroma, and taste. Relevant meat and non-meat ingredients are typically chosen to render the food appealing to the eye. These will contain one main ingredient and two to three secondary ingredients in various colors. Food aestheticism is accomplished through appropriate preparation techniques. Aroma is accomplished by utilizing the right spices, such as scallion, ginger, garlic, cooking vinegar, anise, cassia bark, black pepper, sesame oil, shiitake mushrooms, and so on. When cooking food, methods like baking, stir frying, roasting, steaming, deep frying, quick frying, simmering, and other techniques are used to retain the food's natural flavor and juices. The correct amount of soy sauce, sugar, vinegar, spices, spicy peppers, and other seasonings may also be applied, making the dishes taste salty, sweet, sour, hot, and more. With tomatoes, turnip, cucumber, and other sculptural vegetables to create elegant and intricate decorations to the plate, and the use of exquisite fine china for dining ware, Chinese cuisines become a proper art form complete with aesthetic beauty, wonderful aroma, and great taste. Food dependency may have encouraged economic sharing and trading practices. In contrast, a dietary habit of mostly grain and the plants' roots, branches, leaves, and fewer plants' meat is generally synonymous with an area where production cannot satisfy demand. Food supply in these areas relies mostly on self-growing. 2,500 years ago, southern China's mountain residents invented a method to reclaim rugged mountain fields into productive lands. They drew water from the mountain springs to irrigate rising rice in terraces. Sun drying crops on rooftops is a more widespread practice in southern China's countryside, which is enough to demonstrate that crop development has been an immense significance where the masses see food as their heaven. Unlike Westerners' traditional use of butter and other animal oils, Chinese use vegetable oils such as soybean oil, vegetable seed oil, peanut oil, corn oil, and more. After Emperor Taesong sent ambassadors to central China during the Tang Dynasty, sugar, the primary source of sweetness in cooking, started to be produced in China. In the 14th century, Southeast Asia introduced China to what the Chinese see as high-class cuisine, including the shark fins and bird's nest, starting in the Qing Dynasty from 1616 to 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 1911 AD, only the affluent could afford luxury foods. In terms of foods, Tang Dynasty imported the first foreign recipes to China. As regular exchange flourished between China and other nations, the Arabs who brought their Muslim foods contributed significantly to diversifying Chinese dietary practices and contributing to the already ample range of Chinese culinary techniques. As foreign economic and global trade has become more personal in recent years, Importing quality animal and plant species from foreign countries has also become a vital part of the Chinese import market. More and more international foods find their way through the traditional Chinese familial house. However, like other countries, the Chinese government is starting to see vast numbers of introduced or invading species as a danger to domestic biological varieties. Global ecological protection laws and policies have been formulated and enforced. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of The Kitchen Survival Guide. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at KSG Podcast, and can follow along with all of The Kitchen Survival Guide's written units, modules, and show notes in our online Kitchen Survival Guide Facebook group or on our website at ksgpodcast.com. We would also love to hear from you. Mail can be sent to ksgpodcast at gmail.com. If you like this episode or learn something new from it, please subscribe so that you continue to get notified about new episodes and feel free to leave a rating or review Review. Until next time, happy eating.